0: Didn't come to get out, I came to get right, and I hope that you'll leave here right today. It is good to see you here, and if you're visiting with us, I want to welcome you to Central Baptist Church this morning. We're glad to have you. Be sure to fill out a connection card and uh, get a gift from us, and uh, just an opportunity for us to let you know that we're glad you're here. Glad to have some special guests with us this morning. Glad to have Brother Ferret and folks from Beans there, Mrs. Ferret, and uh, good friends of our family and our ministry for a long time. Brother Ferret was uh, very instrumental in my dad's ministry in the early days of that. And I'll tell you a quick story about him if you won't hold it against me at the end of the sermon, okay? So this doesn't count toward my preaching time. Turn the timer off, guys. I haven't started preaching yet. All right, give me a few minutes now. But um, my dad went down to Brother Ferrette's college there at Temple several years ago when he first started preaching. And uh, my dad had just started, just started, you know. And, and back then, I'm sure as it was with me, it takes you a little while to get a message together. And uh, my dad is there in, in the college just visiting. And uh, getting to know the place, and Brother Ferret looks down from the pulpit and says we have a new preacher here with us tonight, Brother Jack Andrews, and he's going to come preach for us. And uh, he got up and he preached, but uh, talking about getting a baptism by fire, I'm thankful for Brother Ferret, the ministry, and the blessing he's been to our family, and the ministry through Beams. At the end of the service, he's going to take a few minutes to share with you about what all these boxes are. These are boxes of Bibles that have been packaged, labeled, and they're ready to be shipped, and we just need somebody to cough up the money to ship them. And you have an opportunity to do that at the end of the service today. So let's jump in the message, if we could. First Kings chapter number 18. I do pray uh, that you would be in prayer for my voice. It'll hold out uh, for the service today. And uh, I hope the folks that are praying for me are praying harder than those that are praying against me. Uh, and we'll hold out till about 1230. Will that work for you? Look, here's the way it works. If you get out at 12, you're going to get out with everybody else. And there's going to be a long line at the chicken buffet. Okay, so if I let you out at 1230, the line's already cleared out a little bit. I don't want you standing in line for nothing and wasting your time. Why stand in line in the chicken buffet when you can sit in these nice, cushy chairs with nicer people to begin with? First Kings chapter 18, let's stand together. Very familiar passage this morning. First Kings chapter number 18 where we see the account of Elijah challenging the false prophets of Baal. On Mount Carmel. Now, I will like not give you a lot of backstory here because we have a long introduction in the message today. But this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. One of those powerful passages of Scripture where you see the hand of God and the power of God fall mightily uh, through the use of His people. As a matter of fact, I discovered this week that this passage is even mentioned in the Quran. It's such a good passage. The Muslims lay claim to that, but uh, I'm glad it's ours and it belongs to us. First Kings chapter number eighteen. We're going to skip through a few verses. look at verse 17. The Bible says, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Israel was going through a famine because of their wickedness, and Elijah had called down the famine from God. Verse 18. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and come and gather to, get, gathered to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophet of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. Elijah's called a contest between one man of God and hundreds of false prophets. And as we'll see in the message today, God would use that one man mightily. But Elijah was being used of God to get the people to God of God in a place of decision. And I believe God wants to get us to that same place of decision today. So let's pray and ask God to bless and then we'll be seated. Father, thank you for this passage Lord, how many times in my life I've gone to it, I've read from it, Lord, I've taken courage from it, how one man of God was able to influence a nation, Lord, with your power. And I pray, Father, there's many more than one here today. Lord, your people have gathered here today and need to see, Father, Lord, the effect that they can have on a nation, Lord, if they'll just stand, Lord, for the cause of Christ. I pray that you work in our hearts today, speak to our hearts, bless the invitation. I pray your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I appreciate you standing. I think it was last week, maybe a week before last, we kind of commemorated the 50th anniversary of the moon landing, and I had several friends who were kind of... Uh, Uh, you know, Trekkie kind of people who went to the space centers and celebrated that momentous occasion by going down to Cape Canaveral. Some went up to to, uh, Alabama to celebrate that there. And uh, my family and I, we went to Krispy Kreme and had one of those space donuts, you know. I figure, what better way to celebrate America and the space landing than with a good old fashioned donut. But I kind of did a little bit of research on that and reading up about it. It was kind of in the news and uh, the the moon landing is one of those events that it never seems seems to fade in history. You know, there's several events that have happened in American history that have kind of come and gone, and we forgot about them, but there's several events that kind of come but never go, and every generation rediscovers them, events such as Pearl Harbor, uh, the Wright Brothers Flight, 9-11, and one in specific that we're going to talk about this morning is the Titanic. It was over a hundred years ago that the Titanic sank, but it's amazing how often that the new generation comes along and discovers the story and what a fabled story it is of the Titanic and this massive ship that left the harbor and was unsinkable and was just gilded in all of its glory and on its maiden voyage sank to the bottom of the North Atlantic. I did a little research on it this week and it was April the 15th, 1912, when over 1,500 people would lose their life on the Titanic in the chilly waters of the North Atlantic. From the sinking of the Titanic, there was a lot of lessons learned. Specifically, we need to make sure we have enough lifeboats on a ship before it goes out somewhere. We kind of learned that one. That was an important lesson. And then the design of the ship, they thought it was unsinkable because of all of the airtight uh, chambers that were in it, and they realized that that design was flawed. But probably the most ominous lesson It was learned from the Titanic, and I want you to let it settle in this morning, is that you're never too big to fail. The Titanic was the largest ship of its time. It was one of the most powerful ships of its time, over 46,000 horsepower. For those of you motor junkies in here this morning, just think about that, 46,000 horsepower it was the largest ship of its time, the most powerful ship of its time, in its glory to walk through the first class, cabins and banquet halls. It, it was like a palace with all of the millwork and all of the gilded features that were there. And yet all of its power and all of its gro- glory and all of its grandeur did little and offered little resistance to an iceberg that would rip it open and send it to the bottom of the ocean. I researched the timeline a little bit this week, and I told you the, the introduction is going to be a little long, but I need it to be this morning. I did a little look at the, research at the timeline this morning, and here's how it went down. On April the 14th, all afternoon, there were over seven different warnings given out about icebergs in the North Atlantic. Seven warnings went out to ships in that vicinity that there was danger ahead, and the Titanic continued to head on into the direction of the icebergs. At 11.40 p.m., Frederick Fleet, he was the lookout, spotted an iceberg directly in front of the Titanic. Before the ship could turn and get out of its way, it ripped a gaping hole in the starboard side at 11.40 p.m. At 11.50 p.m., just 10 minutes later, the water in the bow of the Titanic had already reached 14 feet high, and the ship was beginning to list. It was at this time that Captain Smith began to try to figure out whether or not they could survive this catastrophe, and he sent down into the the, uh, boiler room for the men to come up and give him reports, and the carpenters came up to give him reports, but they were unsure if the Titanic could survive this collision. Finally, at 1151, Captain Smith and first mate Hitchens went up to the wheelhouse to look at an instrument called the inclinometer. Now, remember that this morning, the inclinometer. I believe we have a picture of it this morning, guys. We have that back there. There it is. That is the inclinometer off of the Titanic. It was recovered when it was explored there after it was discovered at the bottom of the ocean. And the inclinometer, when Captain Smith reached the wheelhouse, the inclinometer would show you whether or not the ship was leaning or not. That's why it's called, I mean, it's a very creative name, isn't it? The inclinometer. The inclinometer, when Captain Smith would get to it, would read that the ship was listing five degrees. Now five degrees doesn't sound like a lot, but in only 11 minutes, the ship had taken on enough water that it was now leaning five degrees. And it was at that moment, it was at that instant, that Captain Smith realized his vessel was in grave danger. He had this instrument that wasn't lying the instrument told him clearly, You're in danger, you are in trouble, and you must act. It was at that point Captain Smith reached the crossroads to decide what he was going to do, and that's where the orders began to come down to get ready to unload the lifeboats and put people inside. Now, here's what I want to get to this morning. I believe that the church realizes today that America is in trouble. Look, you don't have to, look, you don't have to be a rocket scientist or a political pundit. You don't even have to read the newspapers regularly. Just out and about town, you can tell that our country is in trouble and that our country has problems this morning. But what I believe is our church does not realize the depth of the danger that we are in. I don't believe this morning that our church, and I'm talking about the church in America in general, realizes just how much of a need and just what the hour is that we are facing in America. The only hope that we can have is to find some type of an instrument like the inclinometer. We've got to have something that we can go to to let us know exactly the lay of the land and exactly where we stand. And I want you to know that God has equipped us with such an instrument. And it's called the Word of God. And I believe this morning the only way for the church to realize just how bad a shape that our country's in is to go to the instrument of the Word of God and let the Word of God tell us exactly where we stand. You're not going to get it off Fox News. Listen, you're not going to get it off Facebook. You're not going to get it off all the talking heads and the pundits. This morning, if you want to know not only where you stand, but where this country stands... We must go to the word of God and find out just how bad things are. I believe when we do, I believe we find out that America is lifting very bad. I believe if we go to the word of God this morning, we will find out that America is leaning dangerously towards sinking. And I believe if we do not act and we do not act soon, that we will lose our country. I believe the country we live in at this hour is is the title of the message this morning is A Nation in Need. We are living in a nation in grave need. And as I was preparing this message, I uh, sitting back there in the office, I was thinking, Lord, this is too much information. Uh, I said, we'll be here till two o'clock for I can preach all of that. And so slowly but surely, the Lord began to show us that this was not one message, but four messages. that over the next four, I'm not gonna preach all four today. Some of you just look scared to death. I'll promise you I won't. I'll only preach one. But there's four messages, I believe, in First Kings 18 that shows us what happened to another nation that was listing very bad, another nation that was facing a catastrophic hour. And the series we're going to look at over the next four weeks, including today, is a nation in need. And I believe this morning America is in grave danger. And I believe the only hope for America this morning, it's not going to come from Washington. Listen, it's not going to come off Fox News. Listen, I appreciate the folks who report it like it is, but it's going to come from the people of God intervening. Yes. That we're going to go to the inclinometer, we're going to go to the instrument of the Word of God, and we're going to let this instrument tell us exactly where we stand, and we're going to react to it based on what thus saith the Lord. Amen. Now, in 1 Kings 18, we see another nation who was dealing with an hour, much like we are dealing with today. First Kings chapter number 18, the Bible tells us that they were in a famine because they had turned away from God. Does that sound familiar? They had turned from God, and God punished them by sending a famine. The Bible says in verse number 18 <clears throat> that the king had led them away from God to Baal worship. And finally, God raised up a witness in Elijah. This is where it gives me hope this morning. That God could raise up a witness to turn the direction of a nation in need. I believe today that if we can look closely into this scripture, we can see exactly what God would have us to do. And let's look at the message that Elijah preached to the people in verse number 21. <clears throat> the Bible says, and Elijah came unto all the people. and says, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Elijah got up and preached a message and it was not about economics. Because I assure you this morning that there's no economic message that's going to get us out of the bind that we're in. Elijah did not get up and preach a message on social justice. Elijah did not even get up and preach a message on water conservation, which was needed at the time. Elijah got up and preached the message that told the people that they were a crossroads and that crossroads was a crossroads of faith. Where the people in Israel had to decide who was going to be God. And this morning the message, I told you the title of the series, but the title of the first message in this series is the crossroads of faith. I believe America, this hour, stands at a crossroads of faith. In America, just like Israel in verse number 21, we have got to decide who is going to be God. Notice verse 21. He says, if if the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Point number one this morning. Notice the decision of our dilemma. The decision of our dilemma is who is going to be God. Now, I know this morning that seems like a real easy answer. Well, of course, God is going to be God. But I'll tell you something this morning. Listen close. The Bible says in verse 21, if the Lord be God, listen close, follow him. And if they'll be God, then follow him. The truth be told this morning, your God is ultimately who you are following in your life. And I believe this morning when you look at America, you can tell by who we're following that God is not God. I, I fear this morning we have a problem that we do not understand who God is and what God means. Now I'm going to be honest with you. I'm studying last night and trying to get this all framed up where the Lord would have it to go and I'm trying to explain who God is. Couldn't find an explanation on it so I did what every man of God would do. I Googled it. I went to Google and I just Googled God. (laughs) Why not? We Google for everything else. Listen closely what Google had to say. Listen closely what Google understands that I'm afraid we don't. Google says that God is the creator The source of moral authority And the supreme being Can I ask you again this morning Who is God? Listen this morning We can't say that the Lord is God And that Jehovah God is God. And that Yahweh is God if he is not the supreme being and the supplier of our moral authority. Look, based on who we are following this morning as a nation, God is not God. Because the morals and the direction that we are living by this morning are not the ones that he has defined in his words. The inclinometer is telling us this morning, God's not God. We're following something else this morning. And if we're going to have revival and turn this country around, look, I'm not talking about the lost world. I'm not talking about lost America. I'm talking about the church this morning needs to decide who's going to be God. You say, well, God is God. I, no, I'm not so sure about that. So how do you know? Well, it seems like our job has more influence and pull in our life than God does. It seems oftentimes that our job and earning that money and being able to have all of those things has more influence on our life than God does. Now remember, who is God? He's the supreme moral authority. He is the supreme being, and yet I do not see God being the supreme being in many homes today that call themselves children of God. I want you to think about the demoniac of Gadara in the book of Mark. Oh, was he a wild man? He went on his own, he ran naked through the tombs. I mean, he was a wild man. He pretty much lived the way that he wanted. He lived where he wanted, the way that he wanted, but watch this, aren't you glad Jesus loved even the folks that are a little rough around the edges? The Bible says that Jesus went to that man, he was marvelously saved, and then, blows my mind. The Bible says he was sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. He was acting different, dressing different, thinking different. And then watch this. Here's the best part. The best part is he tells Jesus, I want to go with you. What was he wanting to do? This is good. He was wanting to follow his new God. You see, for a long time, he was his God. Because he did what he wanted, the way he wanted, where he wanted. He was his God. Listen, I believe this morning, it would shock us if we realized that most of the time, our God is not God, our God is us. Because we decide our direction. What we want to do, where we want to go, when we want to be faithful, when we want to do the will of God, that makes us God. Why? Because we are now the supreme moral authority in our life. How do we know that the demoniac got saved? Well you could see it in the fact that he wanted to follow his God I want to go with you I want you to think about the Apostle Paul The Apostle Paul this morning He was doing his thing on his way to Damascus To arrest Christians Throw them in jail And even have some executed as he did for Stephen The Lord speaks down to him from heaven He's laying there on the ground He looks up and what does he say? Lord What wilt thou have me do? And the rest of our life, we see Paul following his God. Paul's steps, Paul's direction. We see in the book of Acts, the Bible says he wanted to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit forbade him. The Spirit of God says, not that way, this way. Do you know why God could do that? Because he was Paul's God. Can I tell you, if, Paul, if God cannot tell you what to do, quit fooling yourself. He's not your God. Because if God is God, He's the supreme authority. And America is in trouble at this hour. The ship is listing at this hour because the church has trouble figuring out who's going to be God. And before we leave this place this morning, or maybe this afternoon, before we leave this place, we need to decide this morning who's going to be God. Is it you? Is it me? Is it my job? Is it my habits? Is it my hobbies? What controls you? What sets your direction? What are you following this morning? There is your God. We see the account of the rich young ruler in the word of God. And the rich young ruler comes to the Lord and he says, what must I do to go to heaven? What must I do to be a child of God, have a home in heaven? He says, go sell all that you got. The Bible says that he went away. Listen close He went away He turned and he walked away Can I tell you what he was doing? He was following his God His God was his rich and his wealth And he said I can't give this up And the Bible says he went away Why? He was following his God I want you to know you follow me around long enough And I follow you around long enough And we'll be able to tell real quick who is God Because God should be the supreme moral authority and being in our life. Even Google knows that. I'm afraid Google knows something the church doesn't and that is God is either God or he is not. Now I believe we've got to a place in the church where we are believing this lie. And jot this down the back of your mind. I believe we believe this lie that you can claim the person of God but deny the precepts of God. That I can claim the person of God and, hey, God, I I saw somebody's shirt the other day. It says, uh, God's gal. It's kind of cool, you know. I've never seen one that says God's guy, but I've seen a lot of it say God's gal. And we can lay claim to the person of God, or we believe we can, but deny the precepts of God. Can't do that. Either he's God or he's not. Either he's the supreme authority or he's not. Now, folks, we look at these people and say, how ignorant could you be worshiping a false god, but I'm afraid we're just as guilty today because God is not God. Oftentimes, it is us. In Genesis chapter 2, I was reading this last night. I'll turn there real quickly. You don't have to. I'll read it for you, but if you want to make sure I'm being honest with you, you can turn there as well. That's why it's neat to bring your Bible to church. Genesis chapter 2, I want you to listen closely to something here. The Bible says that after God created Adam and Eve in verse number 8, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. Listen to this. And there put he the man. God just put him there. Do you know why God put him there? Where God wanted him? Because he was God. God can put you where he wants to put you when he's God. We're going down and reading. <clears throat> the Bible says, verse 16, or verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. I mean, God just is jerking Adam around. Go here, go there. Why? Because he was God. Keep reading verse 15. The Bible says to dress it and to keep it. Not only is God telling him where to go, he's telling him what to do. Why? Because he's God. God can do that. Now, folks, based on this, can I ask you this morning who is God? Who is God? Can God move you around the way he wants? Can God tell you what to do and when to do it? If he can't, listen, he's not God. Because God is the supreme moral authority in our life. I believe it's what Jesus was speaking about in Matthew 15. The Bible says, they honor me with their lips. Oh, my goodness. There's one thing the church in America, we've got down pat. is how to honor God with our lips and our bumper stickers and our bracelets, and our t-shirts. I mean, look, nothing wrong with all of that. I mean, hey, honor God. just about any way you can, but make sure sooner or later you honor him with your life. Because I believe we've got a church today that honors God with his lips, but their heart is far from them. Here's something else to remember this morning. I believe our problem is we want God's interest in our life. Who doesn't want God to be interested in our life? I mean, look, cancer's out there there's wackos out there with guns hopefully not here today but there's there's some out there I'm sure there's wackos with guns and cancer I mean this world's crazy in a world like this you need a good God and we want God's interest in our life but hold on we don't want God's influence in our life I want you to be interested in me when I need you when I ring the bell I need you to show up but I don't want you to try to influence my life can I tell you God's interest without God's influence Ain't God, excuse the bad English. He's not God. I believe this morning America is as a nation in need because God is not our God. He's not. We are lying to ourselves. He is not the supreme authority in our life. We do what we want to do, the way we want to do it, when we want to do it. We are God. And it's up to us this morning because we're depending on us. Now, here's some good news. I'm going to give you the second point. They turned the timer off. Well, that's exciting this morning. I feel like I just have free reign to run and to go. Y'all gonna vote after church. We must use the timer. There's something you need to see here I've never noticed before. Never noticed this before. This is not just about do's and don'ts, okay? You say, well, God just sounds like a a dictator up there in heaven, just moving us around. But there's good news in this. Look at verse 21. Never noticed this. Elijah came unto all the people and says, how long halt you between two opinions? And then watch this next sentence. If the Lord be God. Now, why didn't he say if God be God? I got curious about that. Why did he say if the Lord be God and not if God be God? So, I did what I like to do. I went and looked it up. Looked up some words. The word Lord, you look it up in the Hebrew, is the word Jehovah or Yahweh. The word God in verse 21 is the word Elohim. Now, I'm not telling you that to impress you because I probably just hacked up those words, okay? If you have any Jewish folks here this morning after church, you let me know and I'll I'll try to get it right. But the first word means Jehovah or Yahweh. The second word means Elohim. Elohim is a common noun. It's almost a generic term for God. But anytime you see Yahweh or Jehovah, it means a personal God. It's not just a generic God. And here was a quote I read one Jewish author. He says this anytime you see Jehovah or Yahweh, listen close, it implies relationship. It's not just nameless, faceless God. It is Jehovah, a personal God that we have a relationship with. He's only called Jehovah and Yahweh by those who have a relationship with him. Can I tell you this morning one of the greatest evidences? that God is your God, is you have a relationship with him. He's not just Elohim. He's Jehovah, and he is Yahweh. That's his name in the Hebrew. It's not just a nameless, faceless God that I say that I worship. It's a God that I have a personal relationship with. And this morning, if you want to know if God is your God, can I ask you, do you have a personal relationship with him? Because he's not just a God that you can claim and, and name it because it's on your bumper sticker. John 1.12, the Bible says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Amen. Aren't you glad that God's not just some invisible figure floating out there in the cosmos? He is my personal Lord and Savior. He is my Yahweh, my Jehovah, Because I have a personal relationship with him. I put on something on social media a while back. I was doing one of those instant messages with Xfinity. Uh, I am not a tech guy. I couldn't program a VCR if they were still around. And so my, my TV was not working. The internet at the house was not working. And so I get on this instant chat with Xfinity in, in India. Whew. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm working on this. And so she says, so let me run a diagnostic on your system. So she's running it from India. So I just struck up a conversation with the lady, or the man, actually. And I, I says, well, what, what time of the day is, is this? one 1.30 in the morning here. Whoa. So I've been talking and I said Hey why not try to witness to this guy So I started asking about the Lord And he says this He says I grew up in a Hindu home He says where we worship many gods Polytheism we worship many gods He went on to say that Over the time I've met Christians and Muslims Who believe in only one God And I'm beginning to believe in only one God So that's some good stuff But here's what he says to me If you go to my Facebook page you'll see The conversation roll out he says, the problem is I believe in that one God, but I do not know who he is. Started at my spiritual chops there for a second. I says, would you like to know who he is? Absolutely. So we started going back and forth and giving him scripture and giving him scripture and giving him scripture. And just a few minutes later, what was his name? My what's his name? Something, yeah, it was something. I couldn't pronounce it either. Started with a Y. I'll figure it out and tell you what it was tonight. He asked the Lord to save him. Via live chat. I kept going to my wife. I said, what's this? I said, they're talking to this guy back and forth, back and forth. Watch. He believed in an Elohim. But now he got to know Jehovah. It was his God. It was not just a God anymore. He got to know the God. And this morning, folks, listen to me. The way that you know that God is your God is not just the fact that you follow him, but you have a relationship with him. You walk with him, and you talk with him, and you know it. The song says we sing at Easter. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Amen. I can tell. I'm unkind to my wife. He gets on to me all the time, but I'm glad I still hear him because God is my God. Number one, this morning, our nation stands at need, and it's time to decide who is going to be God. So the decision of our dilemma, we've got to decide who's going to be God. But look back at verse 21. Verse 21. Verse twenty one, the Bible says Elijah came unto all the people and says, "How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him; but if Baal, follow Him." Now, this morning it seems like a no brainer for us, don't we've we grew up in church, Amen. We know, look, why would you worship a false god? Why don't you just worship the one and true God? But Satan has a specialty, and the specialty of Satan is providing really attractive alternatives. He does it in marriages, he does it in churches, he does it in Bibles, he does it in doctrine. He provides a really attractive alternative, number two. I want you to see the appeal of the alternative. What was the appeal of Baal? It seems like Israel was always going back to Baal. It was like an abusive relationship. Israel just kept going back to him. He was their default go-to God. Why would they go to him? So I, I, I did some study on Baal. And you'll find out that Baal is a polytheistic god. It means he's many gods all wrapped up into one. Baal has many names. Listen close. His name is Baal Peor, Baal Barith, Baal Zabah, Baal Hadad. The reason he has all of those names is because Baal wears many hats. He's the god of fertility, the god of rain, the god of war, and the god of prosperity. So I'm studying this thing on Baal. I'm trying to think: what was so attractive about Baal? Why would they forsake the one true living God to serve the false god Baal? And then it became clear: Baal was a god that became who you wanted and what you wanted when you wanted it. Baal, remember this: Baal was a customizable god of convenience. You see, Baal wasn't a real God, and so if you wanted things to be different, you just molded and shaped the God of Baal into whatever you wanted it to be. Sexual promiscuity ran rampant in the temples of Baal. Why? Because that's what they wanted. And so they found a God that would give them what they wanted. Watch this. When children would be conceived through the promiscuity... That was allowed by Baal. They just created a way to get rid of the children through the God of Molech. And you would chase, place the child in the molten hands of Molech and destroy them. Don't tell me that God is the God of America. Why? You can see this morning, the appeal of the alternative is a customizable God. There was a word that kept popping up that I did not understand in all my reading on Baal. And it was this word of Syncretism. Baal was a god of syncretism. And I'm thinking to myself, man, my dictionary got a good workout the last couple of weeks. What do all these words mean? Syncretism. It kept popping up that Baal is most identified as a god of syncretism. So here's what syncretism means. (coughs) The blending of different cultures, religions, and schools of thought. Here's why Baal was so popular and so attractive as a God, is because Baal absorbed the culture of the world that you were living in at the time. Baal was the, the worship of God the way that you wanted it. And I realized this morning the appeal of the alternative is the fact of that word syncretism. The root is the word sync, S-Y-N-C. You see, Baal was in sync. Today we have a church that no longer desires the one true living God who tells you how to live. We want to worship a God in the church today that we tell how we want to live. Folks, to be honest with you this morning, look, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you I love you, okay? I love you. Before you get defensive, you ought to get discerning. There's something wrong. There's something wrong in the church today when our doctrines, our practices... And our standards start to resemble what our flesh wanted all along. I'm going to say that again, all right? There's something wrong in the church today when what we teach and what we preach and the, what we, how we practice and the standards of living in the church today, there's something wrong when the standards of the church today begin to closely identify with what our flesh wanted all along. So, I, I don't like that kind of preaching. Well, there's a church down the road, they're showing Spider Man tonight. You're welcome to go watch it with them at 6 30. I'm not joking. Popcorn's only a dollar. About two miles up the road, I'll give you directions if you want it. Look, I love you enough to tell you the truth either he's God or he's not, he's not customizable. I know the alternative is appealing. Who wouldn't want to just sit back, not have this big-eared preacher with a raspy voice spit all over the people in the front row and tell us that we're doing it wrong? I'd rather sit there and watch Spider-Man 2. But that's not going to help us. Each passing day, the church grows more and more in sync with our culture. That's that word, Syncretism. Baal was a god that started resembling the culture. If you wanted him to look like this, then Baal would change to be that. That's why he had so many names and so many titles, because he became what you wanted him to become. 2016, an archaeologist was over in Syria and discovered a tribe of people who still worship Baal a real tribe of people that still worship Baal. And he he gave a report and he says, I believe this is the last surviving tribe of people that still worship Baal. And I wanted to get the guy's phone number and let him know that Baal worship is alive and well in America and it's in the church. Because we want a worship that we're able to customize. And doesn't it make us feel just a little bit icky when worship starts to resemble what our flesh wants? Something ought to make us feel a little bit icky about that. There ought to be something on the inside of here, okay? Look, I don't always listen to the Holy Spirit. I Listen, there are times I transgress the Word of God, but there ought to be something on the inside that makes us feel a little bit icky when our churches start resembling what our flesh longed for all along. That's what Baal was. That's why the alternative was so appealing. Romans chapter 1, got to hurry. Romans chapter 1, we see this playing out. Bible says, verse 18, listen close, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Funny how God still doesn't like unrighteousness in, in New Testament. and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in righteousness. Listen closely, the verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. When they knew him, an opportunity to know him, the Bible says they didn't want him we don't want him because he's going to tell us how to live. People ask me all the time, are you trying to tell me how to live? No, I'm trying to tell you how God wants you to live. Because he's supposed to be God. And God is supposed to have that authority. But listen what they did in verse 23. The Bible says, and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. We don't like you. Because you mess up what we want. So we're going to pull you down And we're going to shape you into what we want. They changed him. You see in the church today, Baal worship is alive and well because we are changing God to what we want and what makes us feel good. This is what Israel did at the foot of Mount Sinai when they created the golden calf. They said, let us make us a God. You see, oh, look, look, I'm not talking about Satan worship churches. You're thinking, man, there's some Satan worshiping churches here in Hattiesburg. No, I'm talking about Baptist churches too. We're creating a God that we want and makes us feel good and appeals to what we like. Syncretism. We want a God that's in sync with what we like. I'll tell you this morning, we go to the inclinometer. And the inclinometer says America is listing bad. America's taking on water bad. And the church has got to decide this morning who is going to be God. And if he's God, let him be God. He has to say so. But there's always the alternative. But before you bite off on the alternative, there's something you need to know. Look, I understand the appeal. Look, I understand the appeal of watered-down preaching. More people come because you don't make them mad. I'll be honest. I wish, look, I wish that people's frowns and empty pews didn't bother me. Dr. Miller, it does still to this day. I think that's why God told the prophet Jeremiah be not afraid of their faces. Because it's a temptation to be afraid of your faces. some of you are really ugly, okay? So I'm just going to tell you. Some of you are really scary. <laughs> but listen to me this morning. I understand the appeal of watered-down preaching. I understand the appeal of lowering our standards. I know, understand the appeal of less services. I understand the appeal of Sundays at the movies in the month of July. But that's not going to help us when we need it most Because before you go the route of the alternative Look back to verse 21 and I'll be done The Bible says How long halt ye between two opinions If the Lord be God follow him But if Baal then follow him The Bible says and the people answered him not a word The church fell silent They still were not sure Now there's something you need to know that who you choose to follow is going to lead you to where you get to. Who you choose to follow is going to lead you ultimately to where they end up as well. So what you need to see before you go that route, before you go find you a church that's what you want, the way you want, when you want, before you do that, I want you to see number three this morning, the outcome will be obvious. The outcome will be obvious. You see, and you let this sit in just a moment. Baal gave them everything they wanted, but could not give them what they needed. Because what they needed was water. They needed water. Baal gave them everything they wanted. The type of worship they wanted, the promiscuity they wanted. I mean, he gave them the no account.